listening to the Cycling Tips Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. This is our final episode of the year. It's been, I'm not going to lie, it's been a long one. It has been a long year. It feels (laughs) like simultaneously it feels like we're still in 2020 and it also feels like it's 2030. So I am joined by, as always, James Wong. James, hello. I wouldn't say as always. I've been a I've been a pretty rare participant over the last That's couple true. months. That's true. That's true. Okay, wait. Scratch that. As always, Ronan McLaughlin. Oh, I've been re- <laughs> I've been replaced. <laughs> Hi, Abby. Um, I, I I like the symmetry here that you know you you answer just this as the last podcast of the year, uh, when actually it's the last podcast of, well, it could be the last podcast ever for all we know, isn't it? Yeah, it is my last my last podcast for cycling tips, which is a little bit sad, um, but also the last podcast of the year for cycling tips. And actually, also the last podcast, the la- the last cycling tips podcast for Johnny Long. Yep, maybe also last podcast ever. I don't think anyone else is going to be foolish enough to let me. Join one of these again. So I'm going to have a... You don't think you're going to have a podcasting gig over at uh, British Cycling? Uh, well, you just scooped the later the late, the, the later news item that we're going to discuss, but... Uh, I was, I was going to say, I haven't heard about this. What? what, what, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a joke for just, like three Just episodes. messing around, yeah. Nice. I really don't like worry. that callback, Abby. <laughs> uh, that was a, that's the perfect send-off. So... Uh, Thanks. Like, did people listen to our previous episodes? Because if they didn't, they're going to be really confused. Yeah, and they and so they clearly I know Amy didn't listen to the TED <laughs> podcast a couple of weeks ago. Amy, Amy Jones, everyone, Amy, you've been exposed. But yeah, the big I'm um, in charge now. 2023, look out for the big British cycling greenwashing podcast hosted by yours truly. It's gonna, it's gonna be doing something different. Uh, and finally, last but. For sure, not least, David Everett. David Chotty Everett. Chotty, hello. Hello, hello. How are you feeling today? Bloody cold, actually, and sad because mm. this is your last one, obviously. But yeah, cold and sad. It's been a that that's a terrible combination. Can, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> can we get a like a what, what temperature is it there? I want to I want to know how cold you think it is, or how how cold it actually is when you think it's cold now, Charlie. Given that you live in such a warm part of the world, right? I've got proper soft. If I'm honest, it's probably about. Um, it's probably about 10 degrees today outside and we have the eating on at the moment, but it is damp and I've been wandering around in my cycling kit. How do you do kit. that thing where you mute somebody? <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? <laughs> I have been wandering around in my cycling kit attempting to get out the door. So like that hasn't kept me the warmest. So I blame the cycling kit. I don't know. I've just got soft, Anna. This is terrible for someone who like, grew up in the northwest of the UK where we're meant to be hard men to whinging about 10 degrees outside. I, I apologize to all my fellow Cumbrians out there. I was going to say your northernness is being revoked now. Yeah, I, I have to, I'll have to change the accent. <laughs> I, just, I just want to point out that our our projected high temperature here on Thursday is supposed to be, I, I went ahead and did the conversion here. It's supposed to be minus 18 Celsius. Oh my God. <laughs> for the high, for the high on Thursday. <laughs> Uh, I, I'll also point out that for, I did the conversion there and 10 degrees Celsius is 50 Fahrenheit and our former dear leader, Kaylee Fretz once told me a way of understanding Fahrenheit, which actually I have to agree with him in that Fahrenheit is actually the one imperial 
measurement that is better than metric in that. No, 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 no. It is. This is a perfect example because 50 degrees Fahrenheit, it's literally, it's a halfway day. It's not really that hot. It's not really cold at all in either direction. It's middle of the road, 50 out of nope. 100. No, 50 nope. degrees Fahrenheit, you you have to wear leg warmers. The way that you, but you th- couldn't, determine you certainly what the couldn't classify it as cold or freezing, and you couldn't classify it as a hot day either. It's in the middle. It's five out of ten. You have to wear leg warmers. <laughs> it's 50%. Therefore, it's cold. No, it's it's too cold to expose the knees. You have to break down the temperature based on what if your legs are exposed or your arms are exposed. I see what you're trying to do here, Abby. You're trying to drag us into this. Abby's trying to drag us into the knee warmer debate, and we just have not got time in this podcast to go down that route today. No, knee warmers shouldn't exist. This should be. That's, a, we're leaving it at that. This should be a lovely cycling tips article, wouldn't it? But. <laughs> but I simply don't have time to write it. Anyway. <laughs> Let's get into the bulk of the episode, which we, we well, I would say we try to record on Mondays, and this week we decided to wait a day because we just really were hoping for the confirmation of the question that has been going around for the entire offseason. Technically, the confirmation never came. However, Cavendish was spotted at Astana's team camp in Spain. So that's as good as a confirmation for us at this point. Because raise your hand if you're sick of talking about this. I could Johnny says Johnny's like so excited, so I'm just gonna pass it over <laughs> to you, Johnny. <laughs> I could talk about this. I mean, I'll, after this podcast, I probably will be talking to uh, about it to myself for weeks to come. It's I've been trying to think of a, an analogy for the, for the whole thing, but the the only there's there's not one. It's just going to be so funny seeing Mark Cavendish in in the Starner kit because. I can't imagine he's too happy about it. Like he's just going to be like next year. We're gonna, like maybe it's his last year. We're going to see Cav on full Cav mode every single day of the year, and it's going to be it's just going to be wicked. Um, it's I mean him at the tour with like Case Ball, who's apparently also moving, trying to lead him out, and I'm not sure if they've got anyone else helping lead him out. Is going to be he's going to be his piss will be boiling like before the rollout of stage one. Um, I just I can't wait I can't wait to see the react the like interactions between him and like the the staff it's just going to be it's just like the perfect end like I, I don't want this to come across as like hating on Cav because I think it's impossible to to love or hate him you've just got to pay attention and it feels like this is the natural end of in this world we live in of Cav's cycling career that he ends up at Astana I just hope they've signed him in time so he can get involved in them uh, rap videos that they seem to do every yeah. year. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the thing is, I haven't, even, I haven't contemplated that yet because if, if that comes along, that's just a bonus that makes it all... I, I would love it if they actually did another rap video this year and in the video, they panned over to Cav and in in the shot, it's just him with like a, a, a smirk on his face, just like just shaking his head, just no. I don't know. I like when I picture Cav in a rap video, it makes total sense to me. Have you guys seen the the Instagrams of his house? He has some absolutely ridiculous art. MTV Cribs. Like massive, massive, really weird, really weird art. And so I feel like, yeah, rap video for that yeah. guy. He sure. also dresses a bit it. like that as well. Like he likes the gray joggers, like what white t shirt, like a the the like the like what's it called? It's not like a baseball cap, it's like an extra I don't know. I don't know the different the different types, but it's like the worst type of baseball cap. Um, 
Yeah, it's gonna, and maybe when he it comes to like his verse in the rap, he'll do the thing that he does in interviews when he doesn't want to be there, but doesn't want to get told off. So he'll just talk really quietly like this, so that you can't really understand what he's saying. Um, and it'll be, it'll be great. That's me done. Thank you for giving me that <coughs> platform, Abby. No, you 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 can't be done because we have to fill twenty five oh, okay. minutes. We're talking about Cav, but <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> Go for it. I will say, all joking aside, I do not like this move. It's it's just not a good end to a fantastic career that he's had. Um, and, you know, it, it, here's a guy who could theoretically next season, and there's probably odds on if he gets a ride in the Tour de France to break the all-time uh, winning, stage-winning record. And he is sitting on sofas and teaming up with two of the most notorious figures in the sport. It's just, I, I, I just can't get on board with this. Um, and even for Astana as a team, they've had perhaps their worst season ever. And to address that, they've invested in a guy who is presumably going to, you know, stop within seconds of breaking that record, or at the very best, make it to, not make it to Champs Elysees in Paris, but finish the Tour de France. And you can't imagine he's going to have too many goals beyond that, um, unless Glasgow World Championships. I don't know what the 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 route is like there. Perhaps that'll suit him, and that would be a good final target for for Cavendish. But I just don't see this as a great move for either side, really. To be honest, you know, Astana really need to double down on developing a team that's going to be successful again longer term, and by bringing in the distraction of a short term success story, they're probably not going to boast their chances too much of that long term success. And yeah, for Cavendish, I don't, you know. I think when we were doing that article about a month ago about where he might go, I don't think anybody took the Astana option too seriously. Like, and, you know, was it already in place then? I highly doubt it. Is it the last option open to him? Yes. And is that a good look for arguably the greatest sprinter of all time to be clutching at straws on Christmas week to get a contract? Probably not the best way for for, for Cavendish to go, is it? It's, not, it's not, certainly not what any of us would want to see. Well, I think we were all debating more how human powered health was going to get into the tour. <laughs> human powered health? No, that there was that was not going to happen. There, <laughs> there's more chance of me staging my comeback and winning the women's Tour de France than human powered health getting into the men's Tour de France. Let's be real. Um, I I feel like for a team that literally couldn't pay their riders in the beginning of the year this year in 2022. They're not really thinking long term. They're thinking they need to figure something out right now. And for them to pick up Cav, I mean, they're they're going to get a lot of attention because of it. But yeah, it leaves a really bad taste in the mouth because this guy who has been a hero for so many for so long. I mean, if he does win a stage of the tour and he does break that record and it's in an Astana jersey, I feel like that's Oh, I don't like that picture in my mind. That's like, oh, come on. Like any any other team. Mm. I, I I want I want to see history made, you know, during my time. I didn't see Merckx won a single stage of the Tour de France. Uh and I, I want to see history being broken. And you know, if that means Cav won on the stage and breaking that record, then I want to see that happen. Again, I just same as you said, Abby there, I don't want to see it in an Astana jersey, if I'm honest. And and maybe that's unfair, but that's nothing to do with most of the te- people of that team, and it's nothing to do with Astana or anything like that. It's to do with certain individuals involved in that team and that team's history within our sport. That 
that's why I don't want to see uh, that 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 team break that record. And you know, in terms of you know, Astana Kazakhstan also isn't really a sponsorship model that depends on success, is it really? So you know, I I, I can't imagine that bringing in Cavendish and getting sprint victory wins is going to solve their their issues with with paying riders and staff. That's something that's been happening a long time through their most successful years and through this year, which is off the top of my head, probably their least successful season of all time. So, you know, it's not like a big multinational corporation where if Cavendish comes in, delivers a couple of wins, all of a sudden the the board are delighted with the return on investment they're getting and they up their investment in the team. It's, it's a very different type of model at work there. I also wonder too, just in terms of team morale, as far as team and staff, I mean, with with the issues that they were having paying people, what does that signal to them if a few months ago they weren't getting paid and then now all of a sudden they have money to hire Cav? Like, well, I, what does that say? I assume he's brought in outside sponsors again and it's like some weird like hamburger shop or whatever it was from Canada like last time to pay his salary and it's some money that's come to pay his way and then he just has a spot on the team. Um, I think the the other big question, talking about him in an Astana jersey, is he needs to go back to the British uh, Road National Championships and get and like double up on his his jersey so then he can wear an Astana British champions jersey to win the record breaking stage just to complete the sort of the car crash of a scenario and just make it really maybe that will be the thing that finally gets all the like Johnny, the sort of British jingoism working, out of the tour when you are at British Cycling you could just delay the national championships by what four weeks <sighs> and then Cav would retain the jersey until after the no, Tour de France yeah. I like or it. Or just have it midway through, like they did in 2020. <laughs> Tom's was in the national champ jersey one day, and then the next day he wasn't. Um, I I feel like we're all kind of dancing around the most the most confusing thing about this conversation, and that's where's J- what happened to James? Who are you? What do you mean? You've said like three things about <laughs> bike racing. <laughs> Well, I, I I had to jumpstart my my bike racing commentary career after after hosting the podcast last week. <laughs> uh. The other thing that upsets me about it is like there's so many teams he could have gone to and like made his um, image that much better by being like that that guy that teaches the younger the younger generation how to do it, what to do, like there's there he could have dropped down to a pro tour team and flipping yeah been one of them guys that leads leads the leads the teams there shows them what's what but obviously he's um, gone for the security of being in the tour I'm, and I'm, money obviously Johnny I need I need to counter your 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 scenario that he is bringing his own money to the team because Shadi like you said if 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 it was purely a matter of someone making a spot for Cav somewhere and if there wasn't going to be some big financial commitment I mean surely he would have had another option some like did anyone else have a spot in their team like if there was going to be no real financial commitment to bringing on Cav why would there be such an impediment to bring him in I mean we know teams that have an open spot and weren't interested in and I think his his the the pricklier parts of her his personality may be the reason for that because like Trek had a spot open and they didn't have the budget to sign him but it didn't matter they're just not interested mm, that that's a discussion we had in the the Velo Club 
uh, channel recently, just sort of wondering if his if if a potential disruptive force within the team might not be worth the risk for for some squads. And I think Trek was one of the examples I give in that they've got this uh, fantastic team spirit within that group. Uh, and if you add, you know, a, a a writer into that mix could be any writer doesn't necessarily have to be Cavendish but you could upset that you could upset the apple cart and is it worth it uh, for you know to the, when you look around the team that Trek have at the moment they've got writers who can be successful for years to come and are you really as any director or as any general manager going to swap that for um, you know a, a one time thing that will quickly be forgotten it's fantastic we'll talk about it for years to come if it happens but it's not going to retain sponsorship dollars for years to come if if it happens well it, i mean we've seen i think people anywhere can see countless examples of places where you've had just that this amazing team chemistry where everything is just firing on all cylinders everything is just perfect and you know that it just doesn't take that much to ruin that chemistry one person and then takes one person and then after that it's it's gone you like you cannot put that lightning in a bottle again it just doesn't happen well, and if you consider Astana, if he if Cavendish at the tour and he sort of he's not happy with how his bike's set up and he chucks it to the ground and shouts at the mechanic, how do you think the sort of gruff Kazakh mechanic is gonna is gonna react to that? He's not gonna he's not gonna take that. He's gonna he's gonna, you know, pick him up and put him in a bin or something. It's gonna be Oh so, suddenly I'm so excited to see Cav in the Astana jersey. <laughs> Wait, okay, so I want to know, I want to know something. <laughs> I want to know something. I have two questions for everybody. My my first question is, which team would you have picked for Cav to go to? My second question is, how realistic is it that he can actually win a stage of the tour with Astana? Because as we've said, maybe Case Bull is going there and he has some kind of lead out, but they have a lot of really strong guys on the team. They have, those strong guys aren't exactly they haven't exactly been doing lead out trains. So he's, he's going in with a much depleted, uh, system than what he's used to. So those are my questions. I would like everyone to answer starting with shoddy. Oh, bloody hell. Right. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, I weren't even listening to your questions. I was busy looking at all the teams that are available. Right. If it was, if I was going to go down the route of what I said before him joining like a younger team, that's why I picked you first. I thought that you would you'd maybe thought about it. That's why I was Well, there's a couple like lot of uh, lot of destiny this year is a young team. Like admittedly you've got uh, old Caleb there, so that would have caused problems, but it's not the first time there's been two sprinters in a in a team like that. Plus they could do with having a definite start at the tour. Though like Cav's always been linked with, spe- well, not always, but he does have a good, strong link with Specialized and Total Energies that would have had the money to to have brought him on board, no problem. And I get the feeling they have big plans for the future like, and they, they, there's definitely bags of money there for them to develop. So that would have been another good move there. But as a World Tour team, I, well, a World Tour team 2023 Akira Samsic wouldn't have been a bad move either. Obviously, they've got a spot free. Plus, French team, World Tour team, perfect sort of fit for going for that record-breaking tour stage. They're, they're the sort of three that I've sort of earmarked out, I would have said. And, and do, you think he'll, do you think he'll win a, a stage this summer, Shoddy? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, me, me neither. And I, for the for the team, I think Israel for a long time, like it was high, it was linked heavily, and I think that's because it did make sense. Sort of, they they used to hiring these old guys who the best of their years are behind them. I think they would have handled that well, and they used to managing all the big characters. And I think they also still have like sort of a semblance of a lead out without a, a main guy to sort of rally behind. And I think from the whole sort of like marketing of the team and stuff like that, it would have it would have worked. I don't know, and I'd, I'd yeah, but I don't think he, I don't think he wins the stage. But we've said that a lot of times before. Well, no, the last time we were saying it, like when he was at, with Quick Step, it's that's a different ball game. Quick Step are a solid team, no matter what race they turn up to. Astana aren't so much a solid team at whatever race they turn up to. So it's yeah, different ball game entirely. I, to be honest, for a long time. I can't say I wanted to see him retire, but I thought that would have been the the the, the best option. I, I didn't want to see him like sort of end up in an Astana jersey. I didn't want to see him, you know, going to the tour and not you know not performing. Or you know, I I just thought he had done so well in the tour last year, won four stages, took the green jersey, wasn't selected for the tour this year, and I felt that was his last opportunity. And to keep dragging it on, it's like, you know, you, how, how long do you chase a dream for before you kind of say, oh, this maybe isn't going to work out. Uh, and that, you know, the longer this has gone on, the more I thought retirement would be the, the I, I, don't, I don't know what, what, it's not that I wanted to see someone exit the sport. I just thought that would have been a, a more gracious way to leave it than to keep chasing. Um, and, you know, some, sometimes just, Things are beyond even the best people on this planet. You know, you uh, you look at Lewis Hamilton. Is he going to get eight world titles? Look at you know, you could pick any sports person from any sport, and they're you know chasing something. And at some point, you have to give up on it. It's like Ronaldo right now in football. It, he has ceded being the best player ever to Messi two nights ago because Messi has won the World Cup and there is nothing that Ronaldo can do about that now. He could keep playing for another 20 years, but he is not going to drag Portugal to a World Cup the way Messi helped Argentina get a World Cup two nights ago. And so that is now beyond him. Um, and, you know, sort of to the same at the same time, to Shoddy's point, I would have loved to have seen Cav actually try to, you know, go go to a smaller team and and drag them back to... You know, to or drag them into the world tour, or you know, really give a team some benefit of his experience, his know-how, his uh, ability, and then you know, the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake might be breaking the Tour de France stage one record. Um, and you know that that's something that a lot of people talk about. They would like to see Ronaldo or Messi do sometime is go to a tiny team and just drag them from lower league football all the way up into the higher echelons of the sport. And I just think it would have been fantastic to see Cav do that. The team I would have liked to have seen him do that with, maybe Uskadel Uskadi, just given where that team would have been in the past. The you know it was a Tour de France force, rightly or wrongly, for a long, long time, uh, and it's you know slowly but surely rebuilding now into a and you know a, a team to be reckoned with again. That could have been their ticket back into the Tour de France. It could have been their ticket to you know, bring in some sponsors, and it could have been. The ticket to uh, just with the whole grand depart being in the Basque country and all next year, how fantastic would that have been to see Cav in a in a 
Buscatel jersey. Can he, and I'll, I'm going on far too long, so I'm just going to skip straight on to can he won a stage? Of course he can win a stage. He, you know, he is a sprinter. These guys don't need to be at their best. They just need to get a sniff of the finish line at the right time and for a door to open. And whether he's got Sis Ball or Gianni Moscon or whoever leading him out, all he needs is one person to put him on Fabio Jakobsen's wheel with kilometer 750 meters to go and for Jakobsen to take a move in the wrong direction that door closed and for Cav to take a move in the right direction that door open and he's got the stage one record so that could come in the first stage it could come on the Champs-Élysées but he only you know it's Cav we're talking about he has done it literally what 34 times before is it or 30 something like that you know he, he, he won't need two chances if he gets one chance he will break the record I've been trying to imagine uh, Mark Cavendish saying you could tell you could and I think for that alone it would be worth the transfer <laughs> I, I like the idea of, of them transforming him into a basket climber. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, he'd, he'd have to change his haircut as well because all the baskets <laughs> around here have like mullet galore. That's and get like, an earring. Cavan yeah, a mullet earring. and an earring. Oh, stop it. Stop it. You're ruining, <laughs> you're in, big, you're ruining my uh, in You're ruining my Cavstana vibes I've got going on over here. Amy, what do you think? Do oh, no, don't ask me. <laughs> I'm just here for everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I. What was the first question? What team would you have liked to see him go to? Um, the yeah, Vietnam. <laughs> I don't know. I think <clears throat> I just think it's a little bit sad. Like, so whichever. Like, I think he deserved to go to like a good team. Don't know which team that is because I don't know the team. And um, Amy has managed to say in about four words what took me four minutes to say. <laughs> it's all a bit sad. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is though, I think. Because, like, he, but I agree with Ronan. Like, he's done like so much in the sport and he's such a big name and he's like, as much as he can probably be a bit of a wanker. Like, can I say wanker? Yeah. <laughs> um, you have now. <laughs> You've said it twice now, so you can definitely say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it would have been cool to see him get the record and do it in a way that wasn't quite as undignified. If that's yeah. not a bit too strong. Um, and so, but like I also agree with Renan in that I think he could probably still do it. On it's not as if he's like always had to rely on a really strong lead out. He's able to like find gaps and find opportunities on his own. So I think if he is put in the right if he finds himself in the right position, like I think he'd still still get a win. I would like to take this opportunity to blame Patrick Lefebvre for all of this nonsense that's gone on for the past <laughs> six weeks. Had he just sent Cav to the Tour this year, none of this would have happened. He's to blame for many, many things. So, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's also yeah. given us something that to talk about for two months guy. on the podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, This podcast James, is sponsored do you have by an answer? Patrick Lefebvre. <laughs> You don't have an answer? No? Me? No, that's not fair. Yeah. If I have Pass. to answer it, James has to answer it. Pass. No, no, no. That's not No, how James this works. is a senior member now. I, I and seem to be having issues with my mic. Yeah. James, what? James is already full of, of after all his racing talk. And then we've had Ronan doing fit, football analogies as well. So I have no idea what's going to happen next. Anything could happen. Well, I would have liked to see him go to. This is going to. This is kind of. 
a weird one. Uh, maybe. Archaea Samsic, I think, would be my choice because they have the infrastructure for his volatile personality and his sprinting. They just replaced Buhani and, like, <laughs> they've just got, you know. Where's he gone? Uh, they just replace him. He's still there, oh. but, like, just, you know. <laughs> just put him on top. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I feel like for anyone who wants to see Cav break the record, um, Arkea Samsic has has the means to help him do that. And I would love to see him break the record, but I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a chance now with Astana. I hope he's listening to this podcast because he when people like hate on him, he it really lights a fire under his ass. So he's gonna have a lot of that, I think, in the next six months or so to spur him along. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. He really thrives on that sort of thing, and I would love to know. You know, can you imagine being a fly on all the walls that Mark Cavendish was near for the last six months or so, with all the negotiations with different teams and equipment providers and different marketing agreements and sponsorship agreements and advertising agreements that were all in place around? Just think of all the different agreements that Cavendish has and sort of deals that he has personally and then the different agreements that teams would have and the conflicts of interest between those and trying to find first i'm sure it started out with trying to find the best team possible with the aim of trying to achieve a tour victory and then at some point it probably switched to trying to find the best team that was a balance of achieving that tour stage victory and also not having those conflicts of interest with different agreements and stuff and then now it's sort of transferred into the place well any team in the world tour will take it uh, you know and just the, as as that unfolded over the past 6 months it must have been fascinating for those who were well probably quite stressful for those who were involved but uh had they been able to move themselves for a bit and just look from the outside and it's probably pretty fascinating also the one guarantee is that monster energy will stand stand by him until his last bike race is pedaled so that's the one thing you can be sure of. And he'll be wearing the hat with the Astana jersey when he wins his 35th stage. Yeah, I think, well, we we successfully covered 25 minutes of talking about Cavendish and his move to Astana. And I, and it'll be hilarious if, like, the news comes out on, on Thursday, as it inevitably will, that he's actually not going to Astana, that the human-powered health rumor was real and <laughs> all of this was useless. Do we have to come and do another and, podcast uh, in that case? <laughs> no, we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna edit in human powered health for Astana and just stand by all of <laughs> yeah. what we said about it and just just eat that one. So over the last week, new kits have been dropping left, right, and center. The most recent one, well, actually, the most recent one is the Lotto Destiny. Oh, I haven't seen that one. How do you? What is the pronunciation? That's not worth seeing. Thank you. Very nice. And one of the other ones that dropped this week, I'm I'm so glad that um that the team actually took inspiration from from the hair of one of the one of my favorite riders on the team, Teo Gegenhart. They really pulled their inspiration from his hair and and slapped that on the sleeve of the Ineos Ineos victorious. He was my inspiration because, like, why? this morning as well. Yeah, Amy, have you got <laughs> that mean, last spot ridiculous. on the seat on the on the team? <laughs> Maybe. Um, 
we went through this last year when all of the women's kits turned out pink. And for the first like four races of the year, no one could figure out anything that was going on. And now, I mean, I, it's a good thing that Ineos and, uh, and Bahrain don't really like race against each other too much. You know, there won't be too much crossover, so we won't, it's just, they're merging. <laughs> Hashtag one team. Rod Ellingworth can just manage, manage both sort of underperforming outfits. Um, yeah, it's like, it's kind of rank the kit. I think the, the, the first, the Navy blue one was like kind of boring, but at least fine. And Egan Bernal, when he won the Giro, looked like looked proper in it. Whereas you look at this new Ineos kit, correct me if anyone disagrees, I can't see any rider winning a Grand Tour wearing that kit. It just doesn't look like a Grand Tour winning kit. I think that is the point, Johnny. Because ah. for oh. all the years Sky and Ineos were winning Grand Tours, the results put them in the limelight. They didn't need a bright jersey. They had dark jerseys every year. The results aren't coming anymore. <laughs> The bright jersey is what's going to get them noticed next year. I think they should have they should have gone back. They should have been like, all right, we we've got we've had a couple off years. We're going back to the drawing board. Literally, they could have used this in their marketing. We're going back to the drawing board and just gone back to the sky black with the two stripes or something like that. Like that would have been awesome. But this kit, I mean, it's just I, I'm, who who's in charge? Who's in charge? It's it's I'm afraid to admit it is my favorite of the Sky and Ineos, all the Sky and Ineos jerseys. I like this one. <laughs> it's bright. Brandon, you have it's no bright. taste. It's bright. That, that's all I've ever wanted Ineos to wear was a bright <laughs> jersey, and now they've finally done it. Okay, they've copied Bahrain Victorious, but at least at least they've changed. It's been like of all of the pretty kids much in the, the same jersey for 12 years. Why did they? Why did they, Why choose that one? Mm. They could choose any other kit. They, they've also managed to outdo the previous marketing slogan for the car, which was built on purpose, which is just like just makes me feel like I need to lie down. And the new one for the the new kit, um, the slogan is visibly fast, which is just like it's just mad. It's just mad. It's like. It makes me. That's the only bit that makes me angry. I just see that, and I just I don't know why. I just feel anger. But the on a more positive note, the, have you, has anyone seen the Groupama kit? The like the blue one with the that that kit. Oh, I don't like it. That, that yeah, Paris that really does it for me. Kit. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm I'm full of football wisdom today. I know you just keep. I don't know what to say when you come out with that. I'm like, yeah, Rodan, that's 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 bang on. But yeah, the Ineos man. It feels like a lot of. A lot of the team kits tried to just go louder this year. I mean, Trek Segafredo went from like a very understated white with a red stripe to whatever mess is going on on the back of their jersey. And like, and yeah, and, and Lotto Destiny is also a, a, a absolute just nightmare of color <laughs> combination. I think so. <laughs> Lotto, Lotto Destiny, they deserve to be singled out here for, you know, an, an absolute fail of an they they haven't no, they haven't failed because they haven't attempted to make a, a new jersey. They've taken the old jersey and splashed a bit of blue on it because their new sponsors corporate colours are blue and orange. It's like literally they have just someone just said, I would not we're not even world her anymore. I wouldn't be bored <laughs> designing a new jersey. I'm just gonna slap some blue on there, slap on a new logo and job done. It's bright though, Ronan. It's very bright. It's given it's given home bargains. Oh, good shout. That's really going to confuse um, everyone who's uh, Sorry, not from the UK. I love Google it. Google home bargain. 
<laughs> they've, they've all, whenever they've had like random sponsors or they've always had weird kits like when it was like silence lotto or um lotto's uh what was the other one silence lotto is like a what was the boom uh, the one Ame- where they were sponsored by the baby testing pregnancy testing kit Ame- is that omega predictor no, predictor oh. lotto when it was predictor lotto that was a shocking kit as well so whenever they've had random sponsors the kit's always been um Real mishmash. Sorry, a men's team was sponsored by well. a pregnancy test kit. Yeah, predict a lot. I'm pretty sure it was a pregnancy testing kit. Yes, yeah, wasn't it the case that they were no there was one like parent company who had all these different brands, and each year they would rotate the partner sponsor for the team. So, like Predictor and Silence and Omega Pharma, um, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was Omega Pharma. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then once once Patrick Lefevre stole that sponsor, they then had to change to another one. And now Patrick Lefevre has stolen another sponsor. They've had to they've had to change again. And then Elvison. I think what's happening is they. (laughs) I think that they, you know, low rise jeans are back in style. Hopefully, everybody has seen the Katie Holmes look on the red carpet recently. That's like a long tunic over jeans that was a style that we all hoped had died a violent death y2k baby so what's happening is yeah the y2k styles are coming back and and so is the peloton they're like let's make it as loud as we possibly can because do i need to remind people what happened in y2k yeah. in the cycling peloton you beat That's me too not Ronan. necessarily a period in time we want to go back to well i made the comparison so it's too late we don't edit we just all we put the podcast out as we as recorded so I'm just disappointed they don't like look back further in the past. <laughs> Johnny's like, quality, lost no, like, quality jerseys from the past. Like I'd like to sit like in the in the Oscar days. Why not have like a nice big truck on big car on there or something? Like I've like remixed the old Tonton Tapis jersey with the guy who had the carpet on his shoulder, and instead just have like some guy leaning out of a, a nice truck wind window shouting. Yeah. Just if you're gonna do a terrible jersey, do a terrible jersey. They should have done some play on the give one meter or something like that on on the back of the jersey. Yeah. If they're they're sponsored by a car, they could have like played into that by like promoting bike safety, bike car safety. After everybody's ass size on the back of their shorts, <laughs> give one I don't know whatever thirty centimeters <laughs> printed on each short. Give give five of Teo's hips. Yeah. <laughs> Is that is that the Ineos era equivalent of the big whale on the back of the jersey? The save the whale. Mm. Yeah, that's that could work. Yeah, that was that could work. That was a bad look. <laughs> that was a bad look. Oh, oh, how the tables have turned. Indeed. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, the kits not looking well. It depends. It depends if you're Ronan or somebody with style sense at all. The kits I, are looking. I didn't say it was my definitely. favorite. <laughs> Of all jerseys, it's just my favorite of the Sky and Ineos jerseys, which is a very, very low bar, to be fair. I, I do. We No, but we really have like swung from very understated kits to mm. just like the, these situations. Also, everyone just copies each other, either unknowingly or just everyone is like plugged into the same like Instagram feed and just being like, yeah, that's what that's what I'm going to do. But I, I do like Ronan's I, idea of this was, just, yeah. you know, narrowing down taste to like bright. I like that. Like, it doesn't have to be bright, but just one thing. Just make it, you know. Uh, is it possible that multiple teams contract the same designer to do multiple kits? 
And then that kid, and, and that kid's kind of like, "What? You're only going to pay me what? All right, well, just like a little tweak here, a little like a little." They're all uh, going on five. It's just one they? one guy making bank. It's like the um, it's the cycling equivalent of in London. There's a Brick Lane is famous for its curry shops, but there's like four or five different shop fronts. But then it's all the same kitchen in the basement. But you know that that's not showing it. So it's like the equivalent of that. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to outdo Amy's home bargains. That's literally my goal for the next. The final half an hour or Sorry, 25 minutes of that. podcasting. I'm not going to do it, I know. Oh, God. What is that, Roman? That's... Ronan, <laughs> that is the ugliest kid I've ever seen in my life. It's like, it's like the title credits for a children's TV show in the 1980s. It's so bad. I like it. <laughs> oh, my. And it says... I have it on good authority that Ronan is is so famous in the ugly kit world that brands actually send him <laughs> ugly kits on purpose. Ronan, this, are you kind of blind? Sent this. I designed and paid for this. Oh, this is one of my own. Okay, money. <laughs> Go this is my own then. fault. <laughs> <laughs> a, lo- a long time ago, when my dad, but um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to put a picture of this somewhere yeah. for people to because uh, I'm not sure if you guys know or not, but people can't see. They can only hear us. Okay, let's move on. So speaking of Lotto Destiny, Caleb, you and Will ride the tour down under for the national team, which is great. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think it's know. fun. It's yeah, thing. okay. Cool, yeah. Is it go. the national team or is it the UNISA team that do oh. that? Or? No. Is that not the same thing? <laughs> I, I, I could be a stupid question. I, I don't know, but I just always know that there's like a uni SA squad well, and yeah. tour down under. He's not, he's not riding for, um, for Lotto Destin anyway. And it's the, the same, then just to take over from Abby, who's looking after her child quickly. Um, Lotto Destiny have also apparently decided they're not going to participate in the Giro d'Italia, Tirreno Adriatico, or the Tour of the Basque Country. Um, just because they're like, we want the points instead of, you know, lumping it around Italy for three weeks, not really doing the, much. I, th- I think the real reasoning behind that decision is that they do, they do not want Caleb Ewan targeting a stage one in each Grand Tour in one season because that curses him every time he oh, tries yeah. to go for that. <laughs> if, yeah. if, he, if he doesn't target it, it might actually come off. Yeah, that's a good point. Just stick him at Eschborn Frankfurt. I wonder if this is like Lotto Destiny making the best of their of their demotion. Mm. Um like trying to find a silver lining in the fact that they lost their world tour license. Now they can say, you know what? We're not going to do the Giro. Well, maybe they don't sell any destinies in, in Italy or, or the Basque country. I mean, mm. I don't know what, what is a destiny? Has anyone figured that out yet? To be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what yeah. an Arkea Samsic is. Does anyone know that one? I, I should know. I, know. I live in you France. You a whole article. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say I should know what that brand is, but I haven't got a bloody clue. I live in France, I haven't got a clue what either Samsic or Arkea is. Well, let's hope they're not listening, otherwise their whole marketing budget would have been for absolutely nothing. Okay, moving along, because now now we have like actually quite a long podcast on our hands. Before we dive into the tech for this week's episode, Ronan got a chance to chat with Jack Thompson, who is an ultra cyclist and has been doing an absolutely ridiculous uh fundraising thing all year long having to do with Everesting and uh, and Ronan chatted with him so let's hear that chat all right uh 
Welcome to the Cycling Tips podcast, Jack uh, Jack Ultra or Jack Thompson, Jack Jack Ultra Cyclist on Strava. At least Jack. that's how you go by. <laughs> Jack Thompson's fine. Jack Jack Thompson. Well, Jack, we have you on the podcast today because you are well. You're nearing the end of what is frankly just an absolutely ridiculous challenge that you've been uh, undertaking this entire calendar year. I'm not going to even try to do it any justice or explain what it is you're doing so i'm just going to throw to you to tell us what have you been not even what have you been doing this year what have you been living or suffering for this entire calendar year tell us all about us and tell us why you've been doing this sure so basically in a nutshell i've been trying to climb my bike a million meters uh i've been trying to climb a million meters of elevation on the bike uh in a calendar year and as part of that I set myself a goal within a goal to Everest once a week for a year. So 52 Everests in a year on a different climb every single week to give me about half of the elevation. So on top of that, I've also been doing around two or 3,000 metres of every other day that I'm not Everesting. And I'm trying to raise some money. So I've suffered from depression and essentially I'm trying to raise a million euros for three mental health charities and looking to give back. Okay, so uh, I've I've been following this all year. I have heard exactly what you've just said there now, uh, but that doesn't make it any <laughs> any more <laughs> believable or relatable in any way. Tell me, a million meters of elevation gain in one calendar year? How do you how, to to raise a million euro for these three charities? And you know that that's you know that that's obviously the the huge part of, of of why you're doing this or this is why you're doing this and crazy crazy no other way to describe it other than crazy challenge um but how do you you know when you sit down january 1st of this year how do you go about trying to gain a million meters of elevation gain uh in a year did you break it down into like you know a goal i know you said you want to do an everesting every week and again just to put that into context most people look to do an Everesting once. Uh, an Everesting, for those who haven't heard of it, is climbing 8,848 meters of elevation gain in a single ride without sleeping on a single stretch of road, uh, up and down that stretch of road until you've reached that accumulative elevation gain of Mount Everest. You're doing one of these every single week. And, and while that is staggering in itself, the rides that you're doing either side of those Everesting rides are are equally staggering. Tell us just how do you rack up a million meters of elevation gain in the year? Yeah, so basically I break it down into into chunks. So there's 52 weeks in a year. I worked out that I was probably going to have to wipe two of those weeks off due to sickness or injury. So I've left for 50 weeks to work with. I then divided a million by 50 and got a round number of 20,000 meters. So I basically worked out I had to do 20,000 metres of elevation 50 weeks in a year to hit the million metres. And I also realised I needed to probably have a rest day once a week. So I had six days in a week to climb 20,000 metres. I wanted to Everest once a week. So I then deducted 9,000 metres from 20,000. It left me with 11,000. And I then had five days to do 11,000. And I realized, you know, I then had to have an easy day either side of the Everest. So 1500 meters either side of an Everest. So basically, yeah, a typical week looks like 3000 meters on a Monday, 
three and a half thousand meters on a Tuesday, three thousand meters on a Wednesday, fifteen hundred meters on a Thursday is a bit of a recovery ride, and then straight into an Everest on a Friday, fifteen hundred meters on a Saturday, and then a day off on a Sunday, and repeat fifty times. Oh, okay. Again, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just not, you know, at the. the Surely at some point when you were making those calculations, you were sitting down planning out this uh, challenge. Surely at some point, at least some small part of you said, this is actually not possible. This is an impossible challenge. Well, it struck me in week two when I realized that I'd actually <laughs> mucked, up, I'd mucked up my calculations in the first week. I was already 2,000 meters short. And I thought, yeah, okay, this is this is really going to be hard because... I'd done eight, 18,000 meters and I was, you know, I was suffering. I'd, I'd come off the back of that first week. It was January here in Girona where I'm based, winter, cold. And I thought, wow, I have to do that 50 more times or 50, you know, I have to do 52 weeks of riding this year and I basically have to replicate what I've just done and I'm completely shagged. And that was like a bit of a realization that, you know, I'm going to have to spend this whole year basically living like a bit of a monk in order not to get sick, not to get injured to be able to just log the time on the bike and to actually, you know, keep up with normal life. It was, yeah, I was up against it at the beginning of the year and it's been a really difficult year making it all happen. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you about because it would be so easy to focus on the cycling challenge of this 20,000 meters per week, a million elevation, a million meters of vert in a year, but you must be doing so much off the bike to ensure that you don't get injured, that you don't get sick, that you can keep Climbing, climbing, climbing day after day, week after week. How, how are you just keeping yourself in one piece? Yeah, I think that's probably like the most difficult part. It's probably the part most people don't see or realize. So we were doing some calculations this week of just how much time I've spent doing different things this year. And we worked that I actually spent around 150 hours alone stretching. So every morning, every evening, I'm stretching Every morning, every evening, like I've got like a tailored nutrition plan that I'm sticking to. I'm at the doctor getting blood tests just to make sure I'm not doing damage. I'm making sure my iron levels are in in order with where they need to be. Like it's really been like a big management game. And then trying to manage like the travel in and around that has been difficult because you lose days traveling. You know, you've got um, that risk of being on an airplane with you know, getting sick and it's 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 really been like a logistical challenge as much as it has been like a cycling challenge. Yeah, so like we're, we're talking about the elevation game, but as you said, all that stretching that just to keep yourself in shape, I can't imagine just how much you're eating both on and off the 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 bike your your teeth are still looking you know they're they're in fantastic <laughs> shape i have to say uh these which, are the knees <laughs> <laughs> well that's a uh, that that maybe makes sense because i can't imagine how much sugar you've had to consume this year just to fuel uh the efforts that you're doing there and i actually just started to look around to try and make a few comparisons to you know what because you because know, the elevation thing i find you know even having done three Everest things and a couple of base camps you know, still the thought of doing an Everesting and then, you know, the equivalent of another Everesting plus another 4,000 meters of elevation gain all in one week is, is just, is just, it's hard to comprehend. Uh, so I started looking at, you know, the kind of distances you're doing uh, and some of the other metrics that you, you send across to me. And, you know, we're looking here at an average for anybody who uses training peaks or is in touch with their sort of the, the performance end of the sport. 
you're averaging 1600 TSS per week, uh, which is, which again is just mind boggling. Um, I think your, your CTL, your chronic training low was in the two thirties, which I had never seen before, but again, might not be all that relatable for, you know, for, for any listeners who, who maybe, you know, aren't, aren't that, you know, aren't, aren't so hung up as some of us performance guys are on, on those numbers. So then I started looking at, you know, just the, 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 the kilometers that you have covered this year. And so far with still a week to go, um, you've racked up 28,200 kilometers of presumably either uphill or downhill. Uh, there are very few flat roads in there. Uh, and then just as luck would have it, Alejandro Valverde happened to share his um, Strava year in review this week. Uh, and despite being one of the top riders in the world who has done 310 days of activities, training and racing this year, he has racked up 35,000 kilometers, which is more which is uh, more than what you have done. Okay, so we'll give him, if we're doing top trumps here, he has got one, he's won he's that fine. one. <laughs> he, he's beat you in terms of right kilometers. But while you are on the verge of cracking this 1 million meters of elevation gain, Valverde has done, uh, well, nothing in comparison, less than half. He's done 400,000 meters of elevation gain. Now, this, again, this is one of the top riders on the planet racing some of the, you know, and, and a real pure climber. And he's only done 400,000 meters this year, which I thought was kind of just helps to put into context what, what you're doing. So then I thought, well, I wondered how does my Strava data compare? So I looked up, I've been on Strava literally for 10 years this month, a full decade, and there is not a single bike ride. I'm pretty sure there isn't a single bike ride that I have not uploaded to Strava in that time. There could even be a couple of duplicates in there just from running multiple (laughs) head units or whatever. And in the 10 years, (laughs) in the 10 years, that I have been uploading data, including a full season as a semi-pro or whatever you want to call it, uh, including countless training sessions and races since, including training for and completing three Everestings, I have only done 1.8 million meters of elevation gain in 10 years. And you're going to do, you know, pretty close to that in a single year. You know, I'm just trying to find ways to put it in context. So I don't know if you've been looking for ways to put it into context for people throughout this year as well and, and what the best one you've come up with is but that was the best i could come up with yeah it's been hard because it, it's really hard to put it into perspective and i think you know as far as the challenge goes there's the fundraising aspect to it which you know for me is a very important aspect of the challenge itself but what's been difficult is i haven't been able to put what i've achieved into perspective which means it's been difficult to raise money and that's a really it's a real big learning for me in in you know moving forward like fundraising is difficult like i can climb a bike i can spend hours and hours on a bike but the fundraising aspect is something i can't control and what we did is we we tried to put this into perspective by you know basically calling it a um a space odyssey you know i'm climbing a million meters which is two and a half times the height of the international space station which if you look at it on, you know, as far as, you know, a little vertical map goes, it's incredible how high it actually is. But again, it doesn't really put it into perspective because, you know, there's nothing to compare it against. And for me, I think the best thing is, you know, it's 20,000 metres a week every single week for a year. 
And we ran the challenge earlier in the year, the Sherpa week, we called it, where we encourage people to ride 20,000 metres just to give them a bit of perspective on what a 20,000 metre really looks like, a 20,000 metre week looks like. And I think that was quite effective because a 20,000 metre week is like 30 hours on the bike. Like it's, it's big hours on the bike every single week. And it's then backing that up week after week for an entire year and trying to manage the fatigue trying to manage the sickness, trying to manage the injury, trying to manage normal life and a partner. And yeah, like I would never take anything like this on again, like a year long challenges. <laughs> I've done my dash. <laughs> this is enough. Yeah. Well, you've done a few challenges in the past, you know, you've done the seven day distance uh, attempt that you did a couple of years ago. Last year, you, you rode the entire Tour de France route uh, and you completed that. You made it look relatively easy. Uh, but I think anybody who's been watching you this year has seen just how much of a challenge this has been. And you touched on the fundraising aspect of it there. Tell us just, you know, where are you at right now in terms of that 1 million euro uh, target? Uh, I think it's euro, correct me if I'm wrong, but where are you now in terms of that 1 million target? And, you know, which charity is this for and how do people donate? Yeah, so we've raised 270,000 euros which is an amazing amount of money to have, have raised, just given the current economic climate and all things going on post-COVID and Ukraine and Russia. So the three charities we're raising money for are Outride, so a specialised-owned charity in the US, basically getting kids on bikes and showcasing the benefits of bikes on kids' mental health. Kids Helpline, an Australian charity, basically free telephone service that kids can call whenever they need. Uh, when they're in mental distress or, you know, there's something going on at home. And finally, Make Strong Minds, which is an African charity which is supporting women and children in Central Africa uh, and providing them with a free counselling service. So three amazing charities doing amazing things. And, you know, while I'm lucky enough to ride a bike, I'm also lucky enough to have the support of people around me, you know, when times do get difficult. And I just love to try and give back to those that, you know, don't have that support. So hence the, the fundraising aspect of this year's goal. Yeah, well, that you know, it, it might not be the million yet that you are targeting. Hopefully, you get there over the next few weeks. You know, it, it's no longer a question of will you do this, but it's when will you. You know, you're you're on the verge of completing this uh, one million meters of elevation gain. So, hopefully, you know, at, at this time of year, it's especially difficult. But hopefully, that uh, fundraising, those fundraising attempts, will will only grow over the coming weeks as you as you complete the the challenge. One question I want to just finish up by asking you is just, do you like, do you enjoy this? <laughs> There's no other way to, to ask that, but have you enjoyed any part of this year or has it just been uh, an absolute slog to get through it? You know what? Like, I still love riding my bike. Like, I, like tomorrow I'm Everesting, final Everest. And I'm excited, not because it's the final Everest, but because it's like, it's a goal within a bigger goal. And what I find satisfying is that, Every day this year, I've had a miniature goal. And by achieving that miniature goal, whether it's an Everest or it's a thousand meter day, you know, that's a sense of satisfaction. And I feel good about that. And so while there have been times that have been incredibly difficult, you know, shitty weather, massive loads of fatigue, like I do still love it. And like, I do still enjoy it. And like that feeling I get when I'm on the bike and everything's in order and like, I feel symmetrical and like I'm climbing and I feel good. It's like no other feeling in the world. And so while I would never do this again, I have really enjoyed it and I've learned a lot from it. And so in that sense, I think it's been a success. 
what are you most looking forward to doing <laughs> or not doing or <laughs> what are you going to do first week of January when you don't have to do this anymore? Uh, I'm going back to Australia on Friday, so I'm probably going to be sitting on a beach somewhere sunbaking. I can't That's wait fun. to just do nothing. Like I just don't want the pressure of having to get up and and log the, you know, I, I'm looking forward to a flat ride, to be honest. Well, looking through... Uh, Looking through that uh, the data that you sent over to me there, and just your you know your weekly training time this week, uh, as you said, there's been two weeks. One that you were sick, which coincidentally was unfortunately also the week that we were supposed to hook up to do an Everesting together, which would have been yeah. I I, I can't say I was disappointed not to have to do that Everesting <laughs> to be honest with you, but I, I was also looking forward to it. Uh, and then you have one other week off in April. Beyond that. The shortest week that I could spot in the and all the the data you sent across me was like twenty seven hours, uh, and and most of the weeks were around twenty nine, thirty, thirty two, thirty four hours in a single week, uh, and so again that might just be another way for for people to sort of grasp what it is that you have put yourself through this year. You know, we, we've all got a bit of time off work coming up. Um, some people might do the Festa five hundred. Some people might do no cycling and just enjoy a bit of downtime. But what I might suggest to the listeners is if you are, or if you have the sort of time to go out and do extra training over the festive period, perhaps just keep a track of the biggest, not even just the biggest week, but the biggest seven day block that you do over the coming weeks, the amount of hours that you do within that seven or seven days and the amount of elevation meters that you clock up during that period and then just compare that to the 20,000. I don't want to ask anybody to do 20,000 meters of elevation gain over the festive period. That doesn't really seem all that fair. But it's not festive. Just, <laughs> I, I know last week I put on the biggest week I could around work and family life and all that. I got to about 12,000 meters and that was me maxed out for the week. Uh, and then that, you know, that just again just hit home to me just how big it an ask 20,000 per week is. So uh, um, we might just leave it on that note with a little uh, bit of homework for those who are going to spend a bit of time on their bikes over the holiday period. Good luck, guys. Enjoy it. <laughs> and lastly, just to finish up, how do people donate through your own website, isn't it? Yeah, it's through my website. So there's a yeah, there's a link on the website. All money goes directly to the charity. So yeah, much support, much uh, much thanks for the support. Well, Jack, thanks for joining us today on the Second Tips podcast, and good luck with your final Everesting tomorrow and your trip home down under. Cheers, Ryan. We'll chat to you soon. Nerd Nugget, here we go. We got a couple of little tidbits for Nerd Nugget today. Uh, first, uh, along with teams changing riders and jerseys and all this other stuff, uh, this time of year also reveals a bunch of uh, teams changing equipment sponsors. And we now know that Yumbo has switched from Shimano to SRAM, which uh, I think is fairly big news if you're if you're a gear nerd. Yeah, well, we heard about this. We reported on this. What is it? A month, six weeks ago now at this point. Yeah, but was it, I think was it's it only just been confirmed. I, I, I was surprised to see this confirmed today because I thought it was already confirmed, but clearly but today's confirmed, confirmation confirmed. It's is... Like confirmed it's, for real now. It's either doubly confirmed or it's initially confirmed, but it's, it's confirmed now. We can confirm that this has been confirmed by Jumbo Visma, who are really the only team who can confirm this confirmation. <laughs> so what we do, what we can confirm is that Jumbo Visma will switch from Shimano group sets, components, uh, and wheels, which they've ridden since their Rabobank days in the early 90s. They've worked with Shimano throughout that entire 
period, you know, through the different name changes and, and everything involved with that team, Shimano have been a, a partner throughout. And for 2023, uh, yeah, it goes back basically since the team's uh, initial setup, mm-hmm, way even before Rabobank, but uh, Rabobank is as far back as my memory goes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm only slightly... Uh, predating the 90s so I'm, I'm going to stick with the early 90s on this one uh, but from next season on which is the 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 the, the main thing here Yombo Visma will ride with tram components uh, tram group sets which I think is a pretty pretty big change um, given zip all wheels. that history is it confirmed zip wheels also? I don't know zip wheels but uh, I mean no I, I guess that part has not been confirmed but uh, SRAM does typically like to have their team bundle. Uh, so from, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised. From what I it, understand, it, the team will ride with reserve, those new reserve yeah. wheels next season, which would make sense. I get that would make sense. Bikes. Okay, mm. fair enough, fair enough. So uh, I don't think either has been confirmed, but from what I understand from pretty, well, the most reliable of sources, uh, the team will race on reserve wheels next season. Mm. Okay, well, I guess... We'll have to wait for yet another confirmation. <laughs> um, other other little bit of news. I wouldn't even really say it's news, but this is something I wanted to call call attention to for for listeners. There's a new brand that is just starting up out of Canada called Frameworks. Uh, not the most imaginative name, unfortunately. Um, but there's a new brand called Frameworks that they actually haven't even really started selling anything yet. But um, it's born out of a. Um, not really sure how to describe it. It's sort of like a like a super high end industrial machining shop or industrial manufacturing shop, uh, and they're the frames that they're producing are kind of old school in the sense that um, they're aluminum lugs and bonded carbon tubes. So it's just something that we've you know, seen for decades now. Um, but it's more the way that they're going about doing all this stuff that I find really fascinating. Um, I don't want to give away too much. Um, but I just wanted to point everyone to their Instagram page. Uh, it's just framework bikes. Um, and there's mainly like a whole bunch of not really teasers, but again, like nothing is actually for sale yet, but the level of detail that they're putting into all this stuff and a lot of the stories that they're putting in and a lot of just the, the background information on why they're doing some of the things that they're doing are, I find pretty fascinating. It's, it's kind of refreshing in the bike industry, I think. Um, so I just think it's worth giving them a look and checking out what you think. Because uh, I, I kind of fascinated to watch this whole story on un, uh, or kind of fascinated to watch this whole story kind of roll out because it's been it's been pretty fun to watch. James, so, did you that, see the short reel they put up of their crank set? They stuck that up a couple of weeks ago. That was that uh, that uh, they have lots of stuff on their Instagram, but I haven't seen anything else yet because every time I've gone onto their page, I've just watched that again and again and again. <laughs> Those cranks really caught my eye. There's a bunch of really cool stuff. There's a bunch of really super nerdy details that uh, that they they're calling attention to that often just don't get discussed at all in the bike industry. Um, and I, I I appreciate that they are coming at this sort of thing from a different point of view. I think uh, in terms of manufacturing, um, which is quite neat, especially with all the discussion right now and all the hype around 3D printing. The fact that someone is doing this sort of thing with CNC machined lugs instead of ones that are printed um, is, I think it's pretty cool in in a kind of like new school, old school way. 
but it's definitely an old school aesthetic, uh, a lot of new school nitty gritty detail. Um, but I, I think worth, worth a follow and worth paying attention to, because I, I have a feeling that something's going to, something, something really interesting is going to come out of this brand in the years moving forward. I do not like it one bit because this is another bike that I will, another, another page that I will just lust over whatever appears on there and probably will never have. And also the the cranks that I mentioned there that, you know, they can make them in any size you want. So while I'm here with this mental battle, ongoing mental battle, should I ride 170 cranks? Should I ride 172 and a half cranks? Uh, framework bikes are now saying, well, you can ride a 171.6 on your left and you can ride a 175.2 on your drive side. And it's like, no, I, I, I just can't cope. <laughs> it's just too much. Well, it looks like you'll have to uh, be digging deep into your pockets then, Ronan. Mm, as I say, I'm, I'm trying not to get too sucked in just yet. I'm, I'm going to ease myself into this one slowly. <laughs> Yeah, because frame, frames, uh, which I'm not sure even include a fork, they're they're projecting they're going to cost 5,500 US at, at retail, which is obviously an awful lot of money. Um, but as I've been thinking more and more lately, as far as how much things cost, in when it comes to stuff like this, which is like kind of truly one-off made and like you know, all the the intricacy and the manufacturing and the detail and stuff like that. I feel like the question shouldn't so much be from people, why do things like this cost so much money? I think the question people should be asking is, why do the bikes that are more mass manufactured cost more money or cost as much money as they do? So uh, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> we, we've already gone significantly over time yep. here. That's not <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're gonna have to wrap it here. What say everyone? I think we may as well tie this one off since Abby has already made her uh, graceful exit. I guess. Yeah. A, a departure. Yep. Like the it was like the final final episode of The Sopranos. She just it just cut to out cut. Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, hmm. you just spoiled the ending for me. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers, <All> right. Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> with with that, that will be the end of the final episode of the Socking Tips podcast for 2022. Thanks for joining us this year and listening along, Johnny. This is your last podcast with us too, and you're you're not gonna you're not gonna just cut out and just turn off your recording too, are you? Well, I, I well, can't I can't copy Abby now. That would have been that was the best way to do it, but no. So I just say bye and thanks. Thanks for you <laughs> lot, because you lot have been pretty good. And uh, everyone listening to, been fun, isn't it? It's been well, all right, Johnny, it's been all right. <laughs> we've survived, we've survived. If we can survive all the things that we've most, we've said over the past few months, then... Johnny doesn't have to pull his tech face ever again. Uh, did you see Did you see in that last, that my last ever tech segment, I um, I had a smile did on my face try? the entire time, I yes. I did, actually. No, I, I caught your tech face. It's going Damn to it. In a minute. Damn it. <laughs> Busted. Johnny, Busted. you will be missed, mate. Yeah, I love you all, guys. It's been wicked. Back at you. You still here? <laughs> 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 okay. See that We're red out. button at the bottom there? That we, red button. we are out. We will see you in 2023. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Happy holidays and all that. <laughs> <laughs>